It is time for a very special episode of View from the West podcast. Mitch, we got the fancy music playing here because it's it's award show season. Here we go. Yeah, we've got the red carpet rolled out. I've got the strobe lights blaring outside. Neighbors are calling and complaining, but it's all worth it because we're going to be giving out some special awards tonight and, and rewarding and looking back at a lot of great performances. This is the big time. It is the fourth annual Best in the West Awards episode for the football season of 2023. So Mitch, get on your tux, shine up your shoes. Hey, we're going to the award show. Talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into our awards episode. It is the fourth annual Best in the West Awards show. Welcome into View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined once again, as always, by our podcast most valuable Mustang, Mitch Stormer. Ooh. Mitch, are you ready to go? Yes, I am. Uh, this is this is always a fun show, you know. In our in our prep for this episode, it's fun to look back. Certainly, we re- we remember the players, right? It's one thing to compile all the stats and really see some eye popping numbers, but when you really look back, and at this point, we're talking 15, 16 weeks ago, and we recap games from week one and week two, and we we remember, you know, all those memories start to get jogged a little bit. So it's it's fun for this episode to kind of. Put a put a ribbon on the on the season and uh, give out some awards here for some great performances. Mitch, what do you think? Most valuable Mustang? Is that the uh, is that the award you can be given? Every year you can be given I, I, that award. It's certainly not deserving, that's for sure. I'll take <laughs> most valuable tweeter. Um, yes. A lot of work went into that this year. So I will happily take that. You can have yes, that is all yours. That award is all yours. And actually, speaking of awards. Mitch, did you see the big announcement this week on, on the X on Twitter? Friend of the show, Matt Shuckman, is being presented with the IHSA Distinguished Media Service Award before the Quincy at Quincy Notre Dame basketball game this weekend. How awesome is that? Yeah, I mean, if you've certainly we've had we've had Shuck on the show a handful of times now, but if, if you're familiar with his work with Money River Sports and and shuck on the truck and all the things that he does for, for that community and those teams in that area. Uh, he's the best. So it very, very well-deserved. I believe Don O'Brien called him the goat and Chris Dewar said icon. That's all, that's all he said. Yeah. So I, I think that that sums it up. Congratulations to our friend, Matt Shuckman. That's awesome. Really cool to see that. I was really happy for him. Well, all right, Mitch, before we jump into all the awards, you know who we got to thank. We got to thank our award-winning sponsor, Oh yeah, there's no question about it. Tonight's episode, as as all, every episode this year, has been brought to us by our friends at Breed Love Sporting Goods, Western Illinois' premier sporting goods store for uniforms, apparel, equipment, awards, online team stores, and Greg, how about customized t-shirts, magnets, cups, the whole gamut. Well, I was going to say, I didn't, I, I'm not wearing a tux or a fancy suit to the award show, but I am wearing my View from the West t-shirt. Mitch, That's thanks right. to Breedloves, we got our own merch now. 
It was an excellent swag bag to receive. I, I say it a lot. If you send me swag, I'm going to wear it. Uh, <laughs> but I will especially appreciate uh, the, the care package that Breedloves sent us. So uh, we, we had such a good time with them this year and uh, look to continue that partnership moving forward. So, uh, but you know, if you're in the, if you're in the market, Greg, for, as I mentioned, uniforms, uh, apparel, equipment, awards, now's the time of the year that, that maybe we're, we're thinking about new uniforms, right? They provide all the same sporting goods services as the big nationwide companies, but with a faster turnaround and their uniform pricing is a fraction of the cost you're probably used to. They offer name brands such as Adidas, Under Armour, Nike, and are extremely responsive with any inquiries. With a primary focus on the western side of the state of Illinois, Breedlove Sporting Goods is the fastest way to outfit your team. Check them out on Facebook or at breedlovesports.com or shoot Cal Breedlove an email at calbreedlove at gmail.com for more information. We certainly want to thank Cal Breedlove and Breedlove Sporting Goods for uh, you know supporting us all year long. It's great to hear from them. And it certainly was a nice surprise to get the, uh, you know, the, the box in the mail with the t-shirt in it. I love it. And also Softest shirt I own. Softest shirt I own. It's great. I love it. It fits. It fits perfect. I love it. So, and we also have to thank Matthewson's mini helmets. They were our sponsor for the view from the West player of the week awards. Every week, they sent a customized mini helmet to the lucky winners of each week. After each episode, Matthewson's Mini Helmets offers totally custom mini helmets or decals for your school. Find them on Facebook or on Twitter. So again, thank you to Matthewson's Mini Helmets. Find them on Facebook or on Twitter. So Mitch, we're going to break it down here. We got all the awards, all the accolades to hand out here. We're going to go through Game of the Year, Coach of the Year, Defense of the Year, our Team of the Year, overall Team of the Year from 8-man and from 11-man football our player of the year from each conference or division within the conference. And then the end, our Heisman trophy, the view from the West player of the year. We've discussed, we've debated the ballots are sealed. Are you ready to open up and, uh, you know, start breaking into the winners here? Yeah, no corruption in this voting process here. (laughs) These were uh, secured. um, And and again, these, these winners that we uh, are going to discuss tonight, well-deserved. And again, as I mentioned earlier, kind of fun to reminisce about the season as, it, as it's been a couple weeks now since state championships have wrapped up. So this will be fun. Yep. Well, before we get into our awards, I do want to give a shout out to all the teams, all the players, I should say, named to the All-State team. We were well represented on this side of the state. So real yep. quick, I want to go through the list. A lot of these names we will certainly be talking about in this episode But Mitch, you know, if I'm being honest, a lot of times we get stuck talking about the skill positions. We got to give a little love to the linemen here that made the All-State honors. So let's get into it. Let's start in Class 1A. Named All-State, Zeb Rashid, Gage Dunker, Owen Mulder, Tanner Kempel from Lee Wynn, an offensive and a defensive lineman. You also had on the line for Stockton, Michael Haas. And from the line, the offensive and defensive line from Rova Williamsfield, Luke Nelson. On the honorable mention side of things in Class 1A, you had Balen Damehoff from Fulton, Luke Rewerts from Stark County, and Chase Newman from Morrison. So let's jump into Class 2A. Got a couple players here from Rock Ridge. How about a shout-out to Landon Bull, a linebacker and an offensive lineman, played great for the Rockets all season. He named He is named to the All-State team. You also had honorable mention Vaughn Frere, an offensive and defensive lineman for the Rockets, and Caden Moen from Farmington, also a lineman being named to 
the 2A honorable mention state uh, all-state team. Looking at class 3A, you had uh, a pair of players from the Princeton Tigers, Payne Miller on the line on both sides of the ball, and Noah Laporte, a wide receiver and a defensive back. You also had honorable mention Cooper Hoffman from Dupec in there. In class 4A, you had Brady Clark from Kiwani. We'll talk about him certainly later on in this episode. And his teammate Alex Duarte was an honorable mention from Kiwani. In class 5A, an honorable mention for Sterling. Lucas Austin, an offensive lineman. Great job by him this season and the Golden Warriors. In class 7A, Braden Little, named the All-State team, the quarterback from Quincy. Let's jump into eight-man. We had a bunch of players on our side of the state named to the All-State team in eight-man. Landon Montavon from Amboy. He was a defensive and offensive lineman. You had Brennan Blaine and Quinn Leffelman, also from Amboy. Roy Sandberg from Ridgewood, a running back and a linebacker. Taylor Snook, a defensive lineman. Connor Nye from Milledgeville, of course, the quarterback there that led the way. Blake Fulgate from Orangeville and Brock Solto from Polo. On the honorable mention side of things, you had Landon Welchel from Amboy, Preston Moriarty from Ridgewood, Micah Tom Smith from Milledgeville, Isaiah Stevenson from West Central, the running back and the linebacker there. So Mitch, I'm going to take a breath, but talk about some of the names there that stood out to you. We got a lot of them we're going to talk about in a few minutes here for sure. Yeah, again, all all well-deserved. These these are players that are the best of the area that – that we've had the, the privilege of covering some for multiple years, some newcomers here, some underclassmen that we anticipate seeing uh, again on this list, maybe next year. So uh, again, we, we talk about it a lot that the talent in our area is vast. It's fun to cover and to have the all state distinctions now to go along with these players. Again, a very well-deserved uh, award for all the, uh, the names you just mentioned. All right, well, let's get into it. Here we go. The first award being handed out, the game of the year from our coverage area in the View from the West podcast. The nominees are Morrison and Princeton from week two. Mitch, of course, you remember that game. That was a game Mm -hmm. we circled right away thinking that could be a winner in this category for sure. You know, back and forth all game long. And Princeton grabbed a late lead on a kind of a crazy Noah Laporte touchdown catch. And, you know, for as tough as Morrison had battled, I remember you were watching it thinking like, man, that's, that's gotta be it, right? Like that's gotta be the final blow here. The, the, the Morrison, just too little time left on the clock and just they're you know, too good of a Princeton team here, but man, were we, were we wrong on that assumption for sure? That was a game that Morrison kind of came out and led early and it was, you know, we we were talking about a, a Morrison team with a first year coach on the road going against the team that's dominated that division for the past six years in Princeton. And it was like, okay, this is, this is getting interesting. But as the game went on, you thought Princeton was maybe wearing them down. Princeton ends up taking that late lead, as you said, but the the game was, was far from over from there. Morrison is able to mount a drive to, to roughly midfield. Um, They have an injury to the quarterback. They bring in, uh, or I I guess I should say they slide over a, a running back who heaves a 46 yard pass down the sideline, a beautiful ball to Deshaun McQueen sets them up to kick a game winning field goal with a freshman kicker in his first football game. Um, in Josh McDearman there. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy story. Of course that, that kick goes through, goes through the uprights. 
it's a winner for Morrison, a huge win for, for that program this year. Um, and like you said, when we talked about it at that time, it, we, we knew right away that we would be talking about it again in this episode. Yeah. That one certainly worthy of a nomination going back to week two, but we're going back even farther than that. How about Forreston and Fulton in week one? We knew yeah. this game had potentially great and it lived up to the hype there. Yeah. Um, we knew that Fulton had a pretty, pretty tough stretch to start their year here, but they started off hot. They were up 18 to eight in this one at half, but uh, that, that great force and team and that offense that they have is kind of built to just get chunks and, and just chip away. And they, they certainly did. They come back, they score with around five minutes left in the game to, to secure that week one win. Um, certainly we're talking about two playoff teams here eventually, uh, but this was a great week one game. Yeah. Uh, looking back again at week two, you had Stark County going on the road to Anawan Weathersfield and getting the win. This was a game that I was at and it was back and forth early. Stark County played a really good game into the fourth quarter, really good defensive game, I should say, really limiting what Anawan Weathersfield could do, but it, it stayed close. The Titans were right in it the whole game. They had grabbed a lead. Stark County hit a home run pass. Uh, Luke Rewerts up to Lane Jose. And that was the end of the third quarter to grab a lead. Anwan Weathersfield would drive down, score, go for two, and not get it. And then from there, Stark County was able to hold on for the lead. Really dramatic win for the Rebels and a huge win for them because we thought Anwan Weathersfield was one of the favorites to win the conference. And that was certainly right. a statement win early in the season. Yeah, uh, a great, a great game there. Again, down to the wire. and. Yeah, little did we know at that time that that would set Stark County up for quite a run. Then in week four, how about Newman over Rock Island at Ooh. Rock Island? That that game yeah. certainly deserving to be on this list. Yeah, and this was a game, right, that both teams had an open week. Um, th this was a game that I don't think either team truthfully wanted to have to play. They, they both tried to uh, fill that week with a, maybe a more – uh, similarly sized school, but it didn't work out. But in the end, credit to both teams for scheduling this game. So didn't really know what to expect going into it, but this was, this was a fantastic game. Uh, you had Gartar that, that took the opening kickoff back. That was Rocky's, uh, I think only score in, in the regular or sorry, in, in regular time. Um, it might've been 14, 14. It must've been either way. Yeah. Um, Newman ends up tying the game in overtime on a run. It was from Dan Kelly. And then they converted that two point, didn't kick it. They went for the two point conversion um, and get the 22 to 20 win in overtime. Great, great win for a, a very, <laughs> a program that has a lot of them. This, this stood out. Looking ahead at week seven, Mitch, we had two games in week seven that were crazy. Sherrard knocking off Orion and Rock yep. Ridge knocking off Morrison. Both games in week seven, crazy, crazy games there. Yeah, so so starting with, with Sherrard and Orion, um, yeah, this this game was, was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, Sherrard ends up with the ball um, with about, I think it was around 141, and they were on their own two-yard line. And... It was kind of a Holland Anderson show, gets them all the way down to right around the red zone, 
They cap this drive off. It's, it's Anderson to Cyrus Hope from 23 yards out. They score with five seconds left. Again, that capped a 98-yard drive in about a minute 36. So um, this this was a fantastic game. Ty, uh, our guy, Ty Taylor, was there. Said that was one of the better games he had ever seen. So, you know, um, very, very exciting matchup there in week seven. And like you mentioned, not the only one that we <laughs> had the pleasure of, of uh, covering that week. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I will say... I always feel like whatever game I pick, I'm going to miss the great game, right? I always feel like wherever I'm at, there's going to be a great game happening somewhere else. Like I always feel like I'm missing out somewhere along the way. But this year, different than some years past, I feel like I got kind of lucky. I had the Stark County Anawan Weathersfield game. I also had this Rock Ridge Morrison game. Great game, great defensive battle. Neither team could really get anything going. And that's credit to the defenses on both sides of the ball. Morrison broke off a huge run. I believe it was Brady Anderson that uh, set them up or had the touchdown to take a late lead. And then it's Rock Ridge. They drive right back down and score, but they missed the extra point. So it was seven, six. They managed to hold him on defense and they get the ball back. And it's Colin Schweigen, Alex Zarlatanis, Landon Wheatley drive back downfield. This is a game that we posted on our YouTube channel. It's still out there. I encourage people to go check it out. It's awesome video that we synced up with the audio from WRMJ in Jim mm-hmm. Taylor and Glenn Cook. What a game for a Morrison team that came in riding all the momentum, you know, after the win against Princeton, which we referenced. And for this Rockridge team, after falling in week one, this was a statement win for them. This was a huge win for their program, you know, in that, yeah. in that point of the season. Yeah, freshman quarterback on the road in the rain against, uh, I think, Morrison was number four. Uh, yeah, it might have been number time. three. Yeah, certainly certainly top five uh, and undefeated. So, yeah, this was this was a great win for, for Rock Ridge, uh, an excellent game uh, for both teams. A, a, a game that we thought that would be that, – that had the potential to be a really great game, and, and it certainly was. So, yeah, that was – looking back, that game was a lot of fun. Mitch, another game we got to talk about going back to week four. How about Farmington's win over Elmwood Brimfield? Tell us about yeah. Angels Extra. Yeah, looking back, Angels Extra uh, is a little bit more special now. This was a game where Elmwood Brimfield was leading going into the fourth. Uh, Farmington was, they were down four at the time. This was with about 636 left in the game. They were facing a fourth and three on their own 16-yard line. Um. Coach Vallis has the quote here um, from Dave Eminen of the Pure Journal Star that he said, I asked our players what they wanted to do. They were adamant. We go for it. So we called Angels Extra. And what that what happened here, Greg, was quarterback Lane Wheelwright winged the ball up into the lights, floated right into the hands of Jack Ronwald. 84-yard go-ahead touchdown. Crazy. Love it. I love, I love the name angels extra, you know, coming through, not a hail Mary it's angels extra floating it in the right. lights and coming down with it. So yeah, great, great game. Great play there. Let's jump into the Western big six. It was, was it week eight Mitch? That was Quincy and Sterling. And you know what? This was week seven. Now that we, uh, now that I look at it. So yeah. Um, this was a game that Quincy led 21, nothing in this game. And then it was a crazy second quarter. Uh, Sterling came all the way back um, to get within 28-27. But in the end, it was was just a little bit too much Quincy firepower that defense was able to hold off a a Sterling 
uh, you, you know, a Sterling offense that was clicking that night. Braden Little threw for 251 and three touchdowns, had a rushing touchdown as well. Um, Drew Nettleton set a Sterling record this game for four touchdown passes in a game. So this was great. This was a, um, a game that we had circled in the preseason that we thought might have some implications on the conference. This brought Quincy to 7-0 and for the first time since 1935. Yep. We knew somewhere along the way that Quincy was going to be tested and be, you know, be given everything they could handle. And it was this effort for Sterling. Kind of a wild year for Sterling. But this is where you saw a lot of that potential, right? Like you saw a lot of that talent on the field really executing at the highest level. And they nearly pulled it off. But I think that's testament to Quincy and how good of a team they were that they were coming up with the stops when they needed to, coming up with the big road win as part of a very special season for them. So that's another nominee. One more nominee in the eight-man ranks. Mitch, how about Ridgewood going on the road in the state semifinals against Martinsville, coming away with the comeback victory there? Huge win for the Spartans, obviously, sending them to the state championship game. Yeah, as you mentioned, on the road, four-hour road trip for the fans of Ridgewood, but they showed out in force for this game. Um, and boy, were they were they treated to a great game. This brought the Spartans to the eight-man state championship for the first time in school history. Martinsville had a lead here, uh, 26 to 20 going into the fourth, but with 226 remaining, Ridgewood's Riley Couture found the end zone on a one-yard TD sneak to this tied the game at 26. And then Roy Sandberg, who we mentioned earlier, punched in the two-point conversion to give Ridgewood their first lead since the first quarter and they were able to hold on for victory there. Yeah, awesome, awesome win for them as part of a great season for the Spartans. All right, Mitch, so here we go. Morrison getting the win over Princeton. You had Forreston getting the win over Fulton. Stark County with the win over Anawan Weathersfield. Newman defeating Rock Island. Farmington defeating Elmwood Brimfield. Sherrard getting the win over Orion. Rock Ridge getting the win over Morrison. Quincy getting the win over Sterling on the road in week seven and Ridgewood getting the win over Martinsville in the state semifinals on the road. Talk me through it. What is the, uh, what is your game of the year? You know, it's, it's tough as we just talked through all those games. I I think each one of them has a stake uh, to to the claim of of game of the year. But if, if I look back at what, there, there was a surprise element to this game, right? Um, there was just great action, great battle, and a fantastic finish. And that is where my choice for game of the year takes us to week two in that Morrison victory over Princeton as our game of the year for 2023. There you go. The ballot has been open. Mitch has read it. Morrison over Princeton. It really did shock you know, it was headlines around the state. I mean, there were people around the state talking about, you know, Morrison, the 1A school off to a great start, you know, getting the win in week one. And they had a lot of kind of hype surrounding them after last year. And they come away, they go on the road to Princeton and get that win. That got people talking for sure. Yeah, I think, and I think Princeton was the top seed in 3A at the time. So, yep. um, and again, we, we described it a little bit, the way that it was back and forth there in the fourth quarter, and then to have a Hail Mary pass from the running back, it was either Newman or, or, or Straiting, I don't remember off the top of my head, to McQueen. Just a perfect pass on the sideline. And then again, the scenario of not only a freshman kicker, but uh, a player who 
is playing in their first football game to get called on that situation to nail the kick and to get the win. Uh, boy, what's what's more deserving than that? So, yeah, game of the year here. Morrison over Princeton in week two. All right. I love it. Well, let's move along to coach of the year. So we're going to name a coach of the year from each conference or division. And, uh, you know, we'll start up at the big schools. And, Mitch, when we start in the Western Big Six, I, I mean, I'm not sure there's much debate here. I think, I think no. the winner in the Western Big Six is pretty clear cut. I think I'm going to open the ballot and say that Rick Little is yeah. the uh, Western Big Six coach of the year. Yeah, what what a what a season for Quincy, and certainly we'll be we'll be talking uh, more on them here throughout the show. But you know, historically one of the best seasons in Quincy history. We thought in the preseason that they would be the Western Big Six champs. I think there was a lot of that uh, sort of sentiment um, from people that we talked to that cover uh, the same area. But to live up to those expectations and to win the way that they did with the with the talent that they had to kind of keep that all in check all season. This was a great job by coach little and that entire staff, but um, yeah, Western big six here, Rick little, this is a great choice. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into the three rivers athletic conference. We'll start on the West side of things here. Nate Vandermeid from Morrison first year head coach. We just talked about Morrison getting that dramatic win over Princeton He's one of our nominees, along with Sam Graves from Rock Ridge. This is a tough vote. This is a close one for me. Yeah, and and again, you could point to that uh, that game there that we just talked about, and just a classic battle between two two good programs. Um, and look, it's it's no denying it that uh, as as I've talked about on the show, I, I went to Morrison. Uh, Nate and I played quarterback together on those teams, but for for me. Um, and to no no disrespect to Coach Graves because we are huge fans of that Rockridge program, but for for Nate Vandermeid to come in, um, you, you know, to he was he was on the coaching staff last year and years previous to that, but to step in as a first year head coach and to lead that team to what were they seven and zero at the time when they when they played Rockridge yep. six and zero. Not only to do that, then to make a little bit of a run in the playoffs in that 1A North. For me, it, it goes to, to Coach Nate Vandermeid of Morrison here. Yeah, I mean, I I understand, you know, I get Sam Graves got the win over Vandermeid when they went head-to-head, right? right? And that was when Morrison was really rolling along. But I think when you look at kind of the, the big picture, and like you said, a first-year head coach in Vandermeid with a team in Morrison that had a lot of expectation coming in. And I think what sets it over the top for me is that win on the road in week two, when let's be honest, a lot of first year head coaches are still trying to figure some things out. You know, there's a lot of talent on that Morrison field, but it, it doesn't just automatically equate to wins and to go on the road against a really tough opponent. That's a really great job of coaching and having kids ready to execute. So I think that one, even though they did lose to Rockridge later in the year, I'm going to give the edge to Vandermeid over, over Sam Graves here. Yeah, this would be one that the fans would be uh, debating, certainly. But two two really great coaches here. Uh, again, yep. congrats to Coach Graves on, on a tremendous season and all the success the Rockets have, have enjoyed um, under his tutelage. But 
just it's that, it's that first year element here that I, I think gives it to, to Nate Vandermeid. Yep. All right. Well, congratulations, Nate Vandermeid, our track West coach of the year. Let's get into the track East side of things here. We got three nominees, Mitch. We'll go with Matt Taylor from Kiwani, Ryan Pearson from Princeton, and Mike LeMay from Newman. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Ryan Pearson is in this conversation every year. But, you know, we got a couple other names here that I think are worthy of discussion. Yeah, start with, start with Matt Taylor in Kiwani. What a season that the Boilermakers had. A, a great run in the conference. Certainly have a lot of great players. A great defense, um, and they, you know, they were a lot of fun, fun to cover. You also had, as you mentioned, Mike LeMay in his second year at Newman, in what what could be, you know, just looking at the Newman program, right? Maybe the most prestigious program we cover, right? Could be debatable, yep. maybe, probably not, but it's up there. <laughs> and so those those are huge shoes to fill. Um, it's a, it's a large shadow that's cast. It's, yep. it's a very, you know, football, um, football heavy community there. So for, for him to kind of have and take those reins, uh, this year, leading them into the playoffs with a great defense, a, a tremendous defense that we'll talk that's, about later yep. on. Um, yeah, this was a great coaching year for coach LeMay. So very worthy finalist here, um, in the, uh, in the track. Yeah, I think that that defensive effort from Coach LeMay and that and that coaching staff is what makes him a nominee here for sure. And let's not forget the win the win over Rock Island to go on the road in Rock Island. That's a huge yeah. effort, and part of that, you know, was the defensive effort. So to me, that's what um, you know makes it close. And and what do you say about Ryan Pearson? I mean, just the job he does year in and year out to get that program. Yeah up to the highest level and have these kids and in the turnaround, you know, there's, there's new names we're calling out, you know, and Casey Etheridge and, um, you know, Noah Laporte, we've certainly seen last year, but even to a certain extent, Will Lott, you know, was, was kind of a new to the scene. So yeah, I think that what Ryan Pearson does is really impressive year in and year out. He did it again this year. What do I, do I have the envelope here, Greg? Do I, should I open this one? Go ahead. Open up the envelope, Mitch. Uh, the envelope. See what we got here. Yeah, see what we got here. All right. Our, our track East coach of the year is Ryan Pearson of Princeton. Uh, the the six-time defending East champions. Um, we'll, we'll talk about, I don't want to get into their defensive stats just yet, but um, a, a tremendous team on both sides of the ball. Yet another run in the 3A bracket. Um and, and again, yet another conference division crown. So Ryan Pearson for Princeton here. And I'd have to remember, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm guessing yet another coach of the year accolade for him. I think he's won this award on our podcast before. So I would imagine so. He's got the imaginary trophies on his mantle. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the Lincoln Land Conference now. We'll start on the large school side of things. We're going to go two nominees. Toby Vallis from Farmington and Ryan Hebbard from Knoxville. Speaking of repeat winners, I know that Ryan Hebbard has won this award before for his efforts with the Blue Bullets. Got to give, uh, you know, some credit here to Toby Vallis and Farmington. Great season from them. Yeah, th- this was a lot of fun uh, covering these two teams. Certainly um, that that conference crown came to a head there. That was a week nine game, was it not? 
I believe it was. Yeah, because Knoxville had come in with a loss, but that was out of conference to Fulton. So both were were undefeated heading into that game. And um, that was a game that that Farmington would end up winning. So um, two really great candidates. Both teams were, were a lot of fun to cover this year, two playoff teams. Um, and, and yeah, these uh, two great coaches as always. All right, Mitch. Well, is it my turn to open the, the envelope? You have this one, yes. All right. I really should have gotten like an envelope and had the paper noise to like, you know. <laughs> you can sim- you can superimpose that. <laughs> All, right. All right. Opening up the ballot here, our winner for coach of the year from the Lincoln Land Conference Large School Division. Congratulations, Toby Vallis from Farmington. You are our coach of the year on the large school side of things. All right, here we go. The small school side of the Lincoln Land Conference. This one is a tough debate. Three names, nominees listed here. Grant Goldstrand yep. from Rova Williamsfield, Tony Grip from Anawan Weathersfield, and Stark County's Jade Nord. Where where are your thoughts here? Where's your head go to start this one, Mitch? Greg, let me start with my Cougars. My Cougars. Okay. My Cougars. My Cougars. Are they mine or yours? I'm confused. I, I, they're mine. Uh, I'm adopting them. Um, still trying to get on the good graces there. Okay. Uh, look, okay. Let's let's step back. Three teams that we thought were going to be in the one, two, three position, right? Um, we, we had debated a little bit about where we thought they would finish. Um, so uh, again, this, these these three coaches, these three three programs were a lot of fun to cover all year. I'll I'll start with Rowan Williamsfield. We knew they had a lot, of, a lot of talent coming back. They were a young team last year. Uh, they come in this year, a great season, a lot of fun to watch, get into the playoffs. Um, and, and, you know, Coach Goldstrom did such a fantastic job with that team. A lot of fun to watch. The, he's going to be a candidate next year, too, because this team brings a lot of talent back. But this was a great – I'm don't want. i not going to call it a stepping stone year for the Cougars because they've been good, but this was a solid – this is a solid team that brings back a lot of firepower next year as well. Looking at the other nominees, Tony Grip from Anawan Weathersfield. Mitch, they had a great season. They fall in that week two game, and then they really go on a run. This was a Titans team that was very dangerous. You saw them get the win over Morrison in the playoffs. What a season for Anawan Weathersfield, a team we had you know some expectation for. And they, and they delivered, but behind that, you know, talent and that coaching staff having them ready to go. Great, great season here defensively. You had four shutouts and then four games that they allowed six points. So um, a, a great, great season for them. As you mentioned, that, that playoff game against Morrison was a great, uh, a great game in and of itself, but a great win for this program, um, certainly before heading up to the Lena Winslow game. But uh, again, for, for them, um, we, we thought they would be here towards the top of the conference and they, they showed why. Yeah. Maybe a game we should have put on the uh, game of the year list that Morrison and Anwan Weatherfield you know, game. Right. It's certainly, it's certainly very, very close there on that list. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, the last coach Jade Nord from Star County, last nominee, I should say uh, last, but not least that, you know, the, the Star County rebels go nine and zero through the regular season. They had a great year. What may separate him was, this was a Stark County team that I think that we thought would be a playoff team. 
I don't know if we saw them beating both A&W and Robo Williams Field in the regular season, and they were able to get the job done both times. So I think that, you know, that might set them apart a little bit. Yeah, and both those games were on the road. Um, the Stark County went in to each of those games as the away team and came away with close wins in both games. But the important thing is that they, they did win. This is a great season, right? We, we talked a lot about Stark County and the things that they did. Um, you know, going back to that year, what, what was that, Greg, 2015 that they went yep. to the state championship game? So we're, we're talking about uh, it had been about seven, eight years um, that you had seen an undefeated Rebels team. So this was a great year for Coach Nord and uh, well-deserving to be here in the category. Yeah. All right, Mitch, open up the ballot. All right, and the winner of the View from the West Coach of the Year here in the LLC small site is Stark County's Jade Nord. Um, as mentioned, a great great year for the Rebels here, undefeated regular season. Get that playoff win against Princeville in week one. Great, great season here, Greg, for, for Coach Nord, Stark County, and that whole team. Yeah, I'm guessing I'm gonna, we're going to get some feedback here from Rova Williamsfield because they got the win over Stark County in the playoffs. So this was, you know, right. it becomes debatable. But I think when you look at the regular season that Stark County put together, that's where it pushes, uh, you know, pushes Jaden Nord and the Rebels over the edge there for me on this category in particular. But we have a lot more to discuss down the way. So congratulations right. to Coach Nord. Great season there for the Rebels. All right, are we ready to get into the Northwest Upstate Illini? Two coaches, I think, stand out for me, Mitch. Rick Arend of Lena Winslow and Tyler Hoffman yep. from Dupec. These two schools were at the top of the standings all year long. It was Lena yep. Winslow winning the conference and making it to another state championship game where they fell just short. Obviously, Rick Arend is no stranger to this conversation, and neither is Tyler Hoffman. These are the coaches we talk about every right. year when it comes to this, you know, conversation. So. Yeah, two two really fun teams that we enjoy covering every year. Um, was really impressed. Obviously, we're always impressed with with Lena Winslow. Uh, super impressed with Dupec this year. Obviously, they make that great run into the quarterfinals of three A, playing three big northern teams along the way uh, before falling to arguably the greatest team in Illinois history there in Byron. But watching Cooper Hoffman, um, you know, watching that entire Riverman team. Jalen Noud was a lot of fun to watch. So, you know, these are two coaches that we enjoy watching every single season, and they just seem to put up the uh, the results year in and year out. Yeah, Rick Arend and Lena Winslow, what he does year in and year out, this team is always competing at the highest level. They're getting the wins, you know, within, you know, the nine weeks of the regular season. They're always setting themselves up for a playoff run. And again, like I said, he's always in this conversation. Right. To me, I think that this year is another testament to you had Gage Dunker coming back, but they had to replace a lot around him. They had, Obviously, that's a huge piece to have. It's an all-state athlete, you know, that they had in there. Right. But they had to replace a lot of other areas, and this is a program and a coaching staff that does that every year. They have guys ready to step up. I think that's one of the biggest testaments, you know, to this Lena Winslow program. And they make another run to a state championship game where they fall just short to, uh, you know, Coach Brad Dixon and Camp Point Central. But another great year for Lena Winslow. Mitch, can I open the ballot? Yep. All right. I'm opening up the ballot. The coach of the year from the Northwest Upstate Illini is going to Rick Aaron from Lena Winslow. Congratulations yep. to him. Congratulations to the Panthers. 
I, I think you you mentioned it every year to have those expectations year in and year out for Lena Winslow. Um, they they just continue to answer the call, and this was a, a yet another great season for for the Panthers. Fully anticipate them to be in in this same sort of situation next year uh, where they're competing for that one ACA championship. They got to win it back. Um, and so to have a coach like coach Aaron there at the helm, they're always going to be in a great position to do that. Yep. Absolutely. One more coach of the year award to hand out. We'll go to eight man football Our two nominees here in eight man, obviously from the Amboy Clippers, Amboy, Lamoille, Ohio Clippers, Scott Payne, the head coach there does a great job leading this program this year was the, you know, the high watermark, winning a state championship, running the table. He's a nominee for sure. Another nominee, Mitch, that I you have to put on this list, head coach Pat Elder from the Ridgewood Spartans. This is a coach that's, you know, seen a lot of football in the 11-man ranks, has come down to eight-man in the Ridgewood Spartans over the past couple of years. This was their best season they've put together yet. They competed right. week in and week out, played great, almost knocked off Amboy in the regular season made it to the state championship game. We talked about their win over Martinsville. They fall short in the state championship game, but what a season for the Spartans and led by head coach Pat Elder. Uh, two coaches that you just mentioned that uh, met up in the state championship as well. So uh, in, in, in Coach Elder's efforts at Ridgewood, this is what their second year in eight-man. So that program is just on the up and up. And for, for Amboy and Coach Payne, certainly this was their second consecutive uh, appearance in the in the champ state championship game, obviously they ran away with that victory just a few weeks ago. So yeah, two great seasons, two great coaches for two great programs. Yep. All right. Well, Mitch, I'm going to open up the ballot. Yep. I'm giving this one to head coach Scott Payne of the Amboy Lamoille, Ohio Clippers. There was a lot yep. of pressure, a lot of expectation coming into this season for Amboy and they lived up to it with a dominating win in the state championship game as the exclamation point. What a season for the Clippers and led by head coach Scott Payne. Congratulations to him. He is our eight-man coach of the year. All right, now let's transition to defense. Let's talk defensive side of the football. Our best yeah. teams on the defensive side of the football will go through and name some nominees from across our area, and then we'll select just one. Okay. So let's go down the list. We'll start in the Western Big Six and Quincy. Great effort from them all year long. Some of the stat leaders they had, Rico Clay, five interceptions, three of them going for touchdowns. You had Ty Douglas with 114 total tackles and two interceptions. He also had two fumble recoveries. Todd Smith also had three and a half sacks and a blocked field goal. This team was great on offense, but man, they really... They really shine defensively as well. Yeah, with the exception of the game to, to Mount Carmel, which nobody <laughs> really stayed within, uh, you know, scoring distance of them. Th this was a team that, again, put them in a great position for that offense to shine. Um, weren't, weren't challenged a whole lot in the regular season, a couple of, of close games. But, uh, again, in the end, like you mentioned, the, the play of, of, of Rico Clay – um, numerous others, Ty Douglas, like you mentioned, Todd Smith. Great defense here for Quincy in the Western Big Six and a, and a worthy finalist here in the category. Looking at the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, we have a, a few uh, nominees here. 
The Rockridge mm-hmm. Rockets, defensively led by Landon Bull, All-Stater. You also had Vaughn Frere as an All-Stater. Great effort week in and week out from the Rockets on their defensive side of the football. On the other side of the conference, two teams that really stood out. Newman, no surprise there. We talked a lot about them this year. And Princeton. Mitch, give us some of the numbers on Newman and then get into Princeton. Two really impressive resumes here. Yeah, and it shouldn't surprise you. Coach LeMay, obviously, uh, defensive player at St. Ambrose. He was the defensive coordinator at Sterling. And, and so it's no surprise that this Newman defense is, is tough. 27 turnovers, Greg. 15 wow. fumbles. Yeah. 12 interceptions for the Comets here. Uh, what more can you say about Dan Kelly? 115 total tackles on the season for, for him. So yeah, this, this Newman defense kept them in the game. It's what led them into the playoffs this year. Great, great effort. Great unit here for the comments. Yep. Uh, looking at Princeton, Mitch, these are some eye popping numbers here too. Credit to Princeton for reaching out to us, giving us some of these stats. How about this, Mitch? I saw this on IHSA and I, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Only allowed right. 76 points all season. Mm. Very it's impressive. Crazy. Yeah. Seven shutouts, which is a school record. 18 turnovers. You had Arthur Burden with 84 tackles. Ian Morris with 83 tackles. On the offensive line, you obviously had Payne Miller and Kate O'Dell. And Noah Laporte had four interceptions and 46 tackles. So a lot of great talent all over the field. But man, just this defensive unit, really impressive for the Princeton Tigers. Yeah, you're, you're talking about only two games where they allowed um, 20 points and sandwiched in between those, like you mentioned, all those shutouts, they only allowed double digits in three games all year. So this was, when you're talking about going up against uh, defenses like Byron or defenses like Casey Westfield, and you put up the least amount of points scored in the state, Boy, that's that's quite the accomplishment. Yep. Looking at the Lincoln Land Conference, we got four nominees here. You got Knoxville and Farmington from the large school side. And on the small school side of things, you had Anawan, Weathersfield, and Stark County. We'll start on the large side. Knoxville allowed only allowed 169 points. That was the best in their side of the conference. Jacob Morris led the team with 36 tackles, eight for loss, and six sacks. You also had Corey Stearns with six tackles for loss. Obviously, um, the conference champion, which we've talked about, uh, the Farmington Farmers and Toby Vallis's team, great defense all year long for them as well. On the small school side of things, Anawan Weathersfield only allowed 110 points all season, but they went on a run there of several shutouts and really just dominating teams on the defensive side of the ball throughout the season. Brody Childs had 100 total tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss. You had Nick Thurston with three sacks, Dylan Ori with three interceptions. So great defensive effort there. And also Stark County, the Rebels. Head coach Jade Nord had this team playing great defensive football all year long. Chris Barnwell, Cole Kinsella led the team in tackles. You also had Braden Lindley with six interceptions, two fumble recoveries. Two of those were or two of those interceptions were pick sixes. You also had Matthew Bowser had five interceptions. Mitch. Out of his five interceptions, three of them went for pick six. So Mm. impressive there. He also had two fumble recoveries. So the Stark County Rebels, very deserving on this list. In the Northwest of St. Illini, 
Obviously, Lena Winslow, defensively, always strong. They're a nominee here. And in the eight-man ranks, Mitch, I think we'll just say it right now. We'll give our award for the eight-man division first. How about the Amboy Clippers? You're talking eight-man football, and you're thinking about a lot of points being scored, which there usually are, but not the case when you're playing Amboy. They only allowed 96 points on the season. Great effort for them. Read me through some of the numbers here from the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 96 points allowed. They almost got there on points scored in the state championship game. So that's just, you know, like you mentioned, you're, you usually think of high-scoring offenses in eight-man, uh, but not against this Amboy defense, no chance. Landon Welch, 109 tackles. You had Brennan Blaine, 18 sacks for Brennan Blaine. That's crazy, um, yeah. How about, how about these numbers? Troy Anderson had eight interceptions. Braden Klein had five. So you can see, again, with numbers like that, you can see how they only allowed 96 points and why they were undefeated and why they were the state champions. So, yeah, this Amboy defense, eight-man defense of the year for sure. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, well, Mitch, let's look down the way then and start talking about who is the defense of the year for the 11-man. Name the nominees. Yes. What teams stand out to you? Um, cer- Certainly, I-, I think I can narrow it down to – I'll narrow it down to three. Okay. Um, I'll go Princeton, I'll go Newman, and Anawan Weathersfield. Okay. Um, again, three really, really impressive units that it was hard to move the ball against. It was hard to score against. It it allowed them to stay in control of their games, get their offense on the field to do their work. Um, to me, I, I, I have a clear-cut winner, though, between these three. Um, and if it, if it's all right with you, Greg, I'll, I'll announce the winner here. Well, hang on. Cause I, you guys, you got, you got some notes. Well, I just think that, it, you know, when we're having this kind of discussion here, I think you've got to toss in Quincy's efforts and Stark County, okay. Stark County. I was really impressed going back to week two, Stark County's efforts against Anawan Weathersfield and the explosive offense that they had. And they really limited what they were able to do. And that was what really kept them in that game was really controlling, you know, that one that came away with the win there. And just the, you know, throughout the season, their efforts, Quincy also really stood out to me, but um, yeah, I just wanted to give a quick plug for them sure. too. But I think, yeah, there's one more team that I think for me is, is the, is the winner here. So go ahead and open the ballot. All right. The view from the West Defense of the year goes to the Princeton Tigers. As you mentioned, Greg, only 76 points allowed. That is the, or was the lowest in the state this year. That school record seven shutouts um, and 18 turnovers. This was a, this was a fun unit to watch. You had, you had Payne Miller, Kate Odell there on the defensive line. Uh, Ace Christensen, you, you had Noah Laporte just a really tough unit to get any sort of traction against. And uh, the results showed. Yep, absolutely. I, I think that that some of those numbers were staggering and just knowing what they had up front on the line. And when you also had guys in the, in the back, you know, in the secondary, like Laporte to grab interceptions, just seeing, you know, the numbers they put up was really impressive to me. Great job by the Princeton Tigers there. All right, Mitch, let's take a quick break. 
And then we're getting getting get into our team of the year. And then we'll get into the fun stuff, our player of the year nominees and winners from each conference and each division. And then the big one, the view from the West player of the year. We'll break it all down. We'll be right back. Brink Sportswear offers totally custom made-to-order football uniforms that allow coaches and athletic directors to take control of their brands. The uniforms are available in sublimated and tackle twill. They offer free digital mock-ups, free shipping on team orders, and free physical samples before you buy so you know exactly how you're spending your program's money. Uniform sets start at $99 for sublimated and $120 for tackle twill. You can find them on Twitter or go to brinksportswear.com. View from the West podcast is also sponsored by the Cupcake Cartel, gourmet cupcakes that are made to order. Over 40 flavors, including wedding cake, lemon blueberry, strawberry milkshake, snickerdoodle, and Oreo. Perfect for weddings, birthdays, showers, fundraisers, or any event. You can find the Cupcake Cartel on Facebook. We thank them for their support. The Quad City's first and only fantasy football show, For Fantasy's Sake, has you all covered when it comes to all of your fantasy football needs. The guys come to you live every Sunday morning during the football season from 10 to 11.30. They've got the best analysis, rankings, DFS, and gambling advice between the Rock and Mississippi Rivers. So tune in to For Fantasy's Sake every Sunday during the football season from 10 to 11.30 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. Welcome back to View from the West podcast. This is the Best in the West award show. It's the fourth annual award show for the football season of 2023. So Mitch, here we are. The team of the year will give one for the eight-man ranks and one for the 11-man ranks. And I don't think there's much debate. You got the envelope. Let's open it up for eight-man football. Yeah, it shouldn't be much of a surprise here for team of the year. It is the Amboy Clippers, the 2023 eight-man state champions, undefeated, outscored their opponents 437 to 96. Uh, the wire-to-wire number one team in eight-man, of course, put up, what was it, 72, 76 points in the state championship game. Um, this was a team that was rarely – very rarely challenged. You had that great game that we, we talked about against uh, Ridgewood in the regular season. But beyond that, boy, if, if you followed their games, you knew in the first quarter that it was over, right? They, I would <laughs> I would like to know how quickly in each game they reached running clock um, because they, they were just such a sound team um, on both sides of the ball. And again, they make that great run through the playoffs. They get to the state championship game for the second straight year. And they come away with a big victory this year. So uh, I don't think it should be any surprise that Amboy is the team of the year for the eight-man. Yes, Amboy, Lamoille, Ohio, they are your team of the year in the eight-man division. Congratulations to them. What a historic season. Unbelievable. So looking at the 11-man side of things, you know, Mitch, you got the Princeton Tigers, you got the Quincy Blue Devils who were in the mix here. Rock Ridge, Anawan Weathersfield, who made a good playoff run. Lena Winslow, another great season for them. But Mitch, I got the ballot in my hand. If I'm opening up that ballot this season, I think the view from the West team of the year in 2023 is the Quincy Blue Devils. What a season. Yeah. 
We mentioned historic season for the Amboy Clippers. This is a historic season for the Quincy Blue Devils as well. Yeah, it, it truly was the best best season, uh, best football season in, in Quincy history for sure. Undefeated regular season there, the Western Big Six champions. Uh, great playoff wins against uh, West Chicago and then against Wheaton North to get into the quarterfinals for the first time in school history. A lot of record breakers on both sides of the ball. Um, most points scored in a season in Quincy history. So, yeah, we, we talked about Coach Rick Little uh, as, as our coach of the year in the Western Big Six, but all of the accomplishments that Quincy had this year um, were super impressive. I I, I feel that they will be in the running for this next year as well with all the weapons that they have coming back. But uh, what is what a great year. What a season. A lot of fun to cover. And this is a very uh, deserving winner here for team of the year. Yeah, absolutely. When you look both when you look back at both Quincy and Amboy teams that both came in with huge expectations, right? Teams that had played well a year ago and returned nearly everybody. These teams were not just on our radar, they were the teams we were calling out as maybe two of the best teams in our area. And I think here we go. They, they played it out and they executed all year long. Both schools played really well and they've, they've earned it. You know, both schools have done what we thought they had potential to do. And that's, you know, not always easy when that pressure is there and the spotlight's on right. you. So both teams certainly earned it. Our teams of the year, Quincy Blue Devils and the Amboy Clippers, all right, Mitch, here we go. Now it's time for the fun. The players of the year from each conference and each division will start in the Western Big Six. And Mitch, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Quincy a little bit more here. Give us the nominees, and then we'll start reading through their, uh, you know, their accomplishments. Yeah, certainly this is always a fun conference to cover. Um, we, we've, got, we've got five names here that we've kind of narrowed the list down to, and those are Braden Little from Quincy, Dreyus Rice from Quincy, Pablo Perez from Moline, Aiden Byquist from Quincy, and Tykel Hammers from Quincy. So there's a there's a recurring theme here in this category, Greg. Yeah, when you know when I started looking through the list, and I was going to try to narrow it down to four names in each in each division, each conference. But how do you separate between Aiden Byquist and Tykel Hammers? You can't leave one of them yeah, out. You don't. Byquist had 1,056 receiving yards and 11 touchdowns. Tykel Hammers had 1,023 receiving yards and 15 touchdowns. So both of them were neck and neck, you know, getting, getting passes thrown to them from Braden Little, all state quarterback for the Blue Devils. Listen to these numbers, Mitch. 3,422 yards passing, 45 touchdowns, and he added three more on the ground. What an effort from him. And he and we weren't done. We're not done talking about Quincy's offense yet, which is amazing. Right. Um, and, and really a really important weapon for them, right? This is a this is a pass happy offense, but they have quite the ability to keep defenses in check with a great running game, and that's led by Rice. Um, the junior had 1,652 rushing yards this year, 21 touchdowns on the ground but also was a big threat out of the backfield in the receiving side, 450 yards receiving with five touchdowns as well. So a tremendous, tremendous player in Dreyas Rice. 
Yeah, and another great running back, another great effort in the Western Big Six from Moline. Running that wing T offense there, Pablo Perez goes for 985 yards and 14 touchdowns for the Maroons. Great effort by him and the Maroons, but man, it is a list dominated by Quincy here. Yep. And, you know, it's tough because between, I mean, all four of them, but I think I really kind of separate Braden Little and Jareus Rice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I in talking to some coaches in the Western Big Six, some of them, you know, told me that, you know, Little's numbers were eye-popping, but that Rice was really kind of the, you know, he was the the guy that he was the the player they needed the X factor. So I don't know. It's right. really tough. I, I what what do you think here? Yeah, it, it is tough. They they both complement each other so very well. Um, you know the numbers that that Braden Little put up this year. I think if you if you went back to the Western Big Six preview, I, th- I can't remember if I said. I think I said 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns that Little would get to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and certainly surpassed that. So, you know, not not taking credit for calling that, but, you know, kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned, it's does, – does Quincy go undefeated without having that asset as a, as a running back in Rice? I, I don't know. Um do they go undefeated if they had another quarterback? I don't know that either. So, again, two tremendous players. It's it's, it's almost a 1A and a 1B type of award here. But, Greg, we got to give it to one. All right. Well, let's open up the ballot here on our Western Big Six Player of the Year from the View from the West podcast. It's Braden Little, quarterback of Quincy. Congratulations to Braden Little. It just the numbers were staggering. And I think yeah. that that's what really, really did it for me. I mean, he he was the field general, and uh, there's even a Twitter account that uh, you know talks about Colonel Little. So I think <laughs> so. I'm not going to talk about my disdain for those types of accounts uh, because because <laughs> the, the well, no, it's the Andrew Luck one was the best one, and it should have shut I, down. Okay. With that. No, but I got to give I got to give Quincy credit though. Whoever runs it, it's pretty good. No, there's no there's, yeah, some, there's no question. There's yeah. some that there's, are unoriginal and they fall on their face. Right. This one from Quincy is good. Right. I, I, I credit the creativity. It's just for me, uh, the, the original was always the best, right? But we're getting sidetracked here. <laughs> um, again, you talk about the numbers. Over 3,400 yards passing, 48 total touchdowns. Those are big, big numbers. Um, little tied, and I should say record. Um, he sits tied for 11th in passing touchdowns in a season um, and for passing touchdowns in a game with, he had a game that he had seven touchdown throws. He entered the top 20 all time. I should say history for passing yards in a season and became Quincy's all time leading passer. So, and this is with a year to play. So these numbers are only going to continue to grow. Um, His legacy at Quincy is, is going to just get to astronomic levels. If, if they, you know, keep their head on straight like they did this year, but they have the opportunity to really do all the all these Quincy players that we mentioned, uh, with the exception of, of Byquist, are coming back. So we could be talking about a lot of Quincy players next year too. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, th- these names on the list, not just Braden Little, but they're, they're a lot of them are gonna be back. So it's very impressive to see 
that, uh, you know, we could be talking Braden Little and Jarius Rice and Tycho Hammers again next year. So, right. All right. Let's move into the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. Let's name a player of the year from the West Division here. We'll start with our nominees. We'll start with our quarterbacks. Colin Schweigen, freshman from Rock Ridge. Kale Filler from Orion. You had running back Brady Anderson from Morrison. You also had running back Alex Zarlatanis from Rock Ridge. And you had wide receiver Carter Brown from Sherrard. So, again, it was, you know, just really tough. Even, even at five, there was a couple names like Peyton Thompson from Monmouth Roseville, Dimitri Larson from Erie Prophetstown that I left off this list. Even Holland Anderson, the quarterback from Sherrard, that I thought could have been on this list as well. This was tough right. to even narrow it down to get to the nominees. Right. There's a lot of talent here. There's no question about it. Um, and a lot of underclassmen too, Greg. Um, all of those nominees, with the exception of Zarl Tanis, will be back next year. Um, and, and so this could be a sign of things to come. I don't know, but I, I fully anticipate talking about these guys once again uh, next year. But for the purposes of this argument, we're talking this year. Uh, Greg, let's start with the quarterbacks here. Two yep. underclassmen, um, starting with Colin Schwagen, the freshman out of Rock Ridge. What is What a debut season he had. They had that week one loss to Newman, and then they didn't look back for, for quite a while. So very evenly balanced attack they had there. Uh, Schwagen just over over a thousand yards passing and 11 touchdowns right at 900 yards rushing and 11 touchdowns. Again, this is a freshman coming in, had some away wins. Great to see him play well. Kale filler on the other side for Orion. Uh, boy, some eye popping numbers here. Over 2000 yards passing 23 to three touchdown to interception ratio. He added a rushing touchdown as well. So, you know, we talked about the Orient team that was was always right there at the end of games and had some just heartbreaking losses. But Kale Filler was the one that would put them in those positions and I think will allow them to continue to grow and continue to be a dynamic offense moving forward and a, and a great year for him in his sophomore season. Greg, yep. what about the running backs here? I was going to say, I want to talk about these running backs here. You got Alex Zarlatanis from Rock Ridge, who he was really for Schweigen and the things he did as a freshman to lead that offense, I felt like Zarlatanis was the heartbeat, right? When they needed those yards, he was the consistent, he was getting the job done. He was that reliable presence year in and, you know, game in and game out. And as the senior, I think that was valuable, a valuable asset to have on this offense. So I really liked what Zarlatanis did and Brady Anderson and Morrison, just over a thousand yards, 20 total touchdowns, 18 of them coming on the ground. What really stood out to me about Brady Anderson was, sure, the numbers are great, but he had the chance. You felt like anytime he touched the ball, there was potential he was going to run it to the, you know, he's going to go to the house. He was going to score a touchdown. He was just that dangerous of a weapon. And I think that that's something that makes him, you know, really high on my list here. Yeah. And one of the state's best sprinters too, that you'll find out here <laughs> in the spring. coming yep. up. Um, you know, we talked about Carter Brown at Sherrard as a receiver. Uh, Holland Anderson's main target there, 590 yards receiving, eight touchdowns, two more on the ground. I believe, Greg, he's a sophomore. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yep. And I think what the, re the reports are is that he might be their most dynamic player and maybe be taking over their quarterback role moving forward. Again, that's, that's that could be hearsay. Don't want to speculate anything, but 
the the point is is that a dynamic player that again we're going to be talking about uh, for years to come there in Sherrard. Yep. All right, Mitch, you have the ballot this time. Give us the give us the name of the Track West Player of the Year. Yeah this this was this was tough. Um, this was certainly certainly a hard category to not only narrow down to finalists but to really come to a conclusion on who we thought was the player of the year. I'll open up the ballot here. And for us, the 2023 track West player of the year goes to running back Brady Anderson of Morrison. You said it. Um, The one of the most electric players that we can cover Um. And, and, you know, this was an offense, too, that had Chase Newman and Carson Strading. That were, it was a load share there. And he had 1,000 yards rushing there. Yeah. I, I expect those numbers to, to go up even further next year. Anytime he can touch the ball and he's got a window, he's gone. He's that quick. You saw it in person a handful of times this year. I think it's that home run ability and that spark that he can provide makes him a pretty, pretty good player. And I believe only a sophomore. So much more to come from Brady Anderson and the Morrison rushing attack. Yep. I think that that, yeah, that spark of electricity that he, you know, brings every time he touches the ball, I think is what sets him, you know, sets him apart here in this category. But what's like you said, what's so exciting is, you know, Schweigen, Filler, Carter Brown and Anderson all back. You know, names we're going to be All talking underclassmen. about. Not just, yeah. not just back, underclassmen, two more, at least two more years back. Yeah, so I love it. I, I, I want this debate to keep going, you know? Right. All right, let's get into the track, the east side of the track division here. Brady Clark, from quarterback from Kiwani. You have Casey Etheridge, a running back from Princeton. Alex Duarte from Kiwani, the running back there for the Boilermakers. And Noah Laporte from Princeton, the wide receiver. So a pair of Princeton Tigers and a pair of Kiwani Boilermakers lead the way here for the yep. nominees for the Track East Player of the Year. Yeah, and again, a lot of a lot of great performances that we were able to to witness this year. Um, you know, go back to that Week One game, uh, Princeton over Monmouth Roseville, where Casey Etheridge had like 240 yards, and we were sitting here thinking, "Who is Casey Etheridge?" <laughs> He, he was the secret weapon that coach Pearson and that group, they were the ones who knew about him, but no one else did. And he just burst onto the scene this year. So again, those numbers are, are fantastic. Almost 1900 yards and 29 touchdowns, a great season for, for him, for Noah Laporte as the main receiving target. But if, if you go to Kiwani, right, we're, we're talking a little bit of rarefied air. When you talk about Brady Clark and the accomplishments that he had this year, Alex Duarte, a really tough running back to bring down a great compliment uh to that entire offense so again this is these are two teams that we always see here uh at the top of this division the past couple of seasons they were always great games between these two players two sorry these two programs um and and featuring these players made for a lot of fun this year yeah i was gonna say i mean these two you know schools being represented as the you know four nominees makes a lot of sense because both were kind of that one-two punch when you look at Alex Duarte and what he was able to do on the ground complemented by the tough play, the all around play of Brady Clark gets both of them on this list. 
Mitch, looking through what Brady Clark accomplished this season is is remarkable. As a quarterback, he had uh, over 1,300 yards passing, 17 touchdowns. He had 12 rushing touchdowns. He had three interceptions on defense and a touchdown defensively as well. But that's not it. He was a first-team all-conference at quarterback, on defense, at kicker, and at punter. And obviously, like we mentioned earlier on the show, he was first team. He was named All-State. So mm-hmm. the resume for Brady Clark is really impressive this year. Not since not since a podcast 100 years ago was talking about Nels Fugel saying that we had this much right. you know, to talk about with the Kiwani player. Right. You got to gotta go deep in the archives for those those episodes. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's as, as mentioned, that's, that's rarefied air to be a first team all conference in four different categories. Yeah. All right, Mitch. So it's this is another tough debate here. But where are we going? You can open up the envelope for the track East player of the year. All right. Well, we talked about it here. Uh, with with the accolades of this player, that really set him apart, and I, I don't think it's any surprise that our our track East Player of the Year goes to Brady Clark at Kiwani. As you as you mentioned, the stats: twenty nine touchdowns, uh, three interceptions on defense. But it's that being a first team selection, all track quarterback on defense, the kicker, and the punter to go along with his first team All State. Um, uh, award not nominee award I, I think makes it a pretty clear selection here for, for player of the year yeah great all-around season great leader for that boilermaker team so it was you know a tough debate here but i i really think that brady clark was the player of the year on that uh on the track side of things so mitch let's get into the lincoln land conference we'll start on the large side the large schools we got lane wheelwright from farmington we got quarterback Colby Cox from Mercer County. We have Nolan McClay, a running back from Knoxville. And Mitch, we also got another quarterback here, Gavin Grothaus from West Hancock. Yeah. They didn't have the best season, but for him individually, listen, read us off some of these numbers. Really impressive. Yeah, 2,223 passing yards with 23 touchdowns and added four more on the ground. So, yeah, this this was a this was a year for West Hancock that um, I, I don't anticipate being repeated. I think this is a team on the rise, and and with Grothaus leading the charge there and, and leading that attack, um, they're, they're always going to be putting up these yards and putting up the points. Yep, he was throwing to Nolan Gooding, who had 731 yards receiving and five touchdowns. So really, you know, great effort. They that was a name that kind of just fell short on our nominees list. You know, another name that just fell short from the nominees list, Bo Windish from Elmwood Brimfield. He almost had 800 yards rushing and another 200 yards receiving. So really good season from him. But let's go through the numbers of our nominees here. We'll start with Lane Wheelwright from Farmington. 1,328 yards passing, 19 touchdowns. He ran for over 1,000 yards as well with 15 touchdowns. Unanimous first team Lincoln Land Conference, large school division quarterback. Great season from him. You also had Colby Cox at quarterback, over 1,000 yards passing and 11 touchdowns, 565 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns for the Golden Eagles quarterback. And Nolan McClay from Knoxville, 
Mitch, we talk about this Knoxville rushing attack and what they do and how effective they are. And it was led by Nolan McClay this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th this was a name that we called out quite a bit. A lot of great, great week-to-week -week performances from McClay. Fun to watch, fun to cover. As you mentioned, 1,600 yards, that's, that's quite a lot. Um, and, and yet another great Knoxville running back. So, yeah, we, we saw a lot of great performances uh, throughout this division for, for sure. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to push the envelope over to you on this, Greg, to, uh, to give us the winner here. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I saw Nolan McClay firsthand go up against uh, Mercer County when Knoxville got the big win over Mercer County and McClay looked electric in that game, really dynamic playmaker in that one to lead the way he did that all season long. But I think for me, the player of the year in the Lincoln Land Conference large school side of things is Lane Wheelwright from Farmington. Led that team from the quarterback position, but was passing the ball and running the ball and just, you know, really getting the job done for the Farmers. Another great season for them. I'm going with Lane Wheelwright here. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, a great call. Whenever we would see these highlights or read recaps or get the stats. It was, you know, it didn't take you long to, to find Wheelwright. And like you mentioned, the over just about 2,500 all-purpose yards, 34 touchdowns. Boy, that's that's a lot. So a great season for, for him, for Farmington. And uh, congratulations to him on uh, the player of the year here in the LLC large side. All right, let's get into the LLC small side of things. And Mitch, similar to our coach of the year discussion, some similar program names here. You have Riley Danner, quarterback from Rova Williamsfield. You have quarterback Luke Rewerts from Stark County. You also have at running back Zeb Rashid from Anawan Weathersfield. And you have Brian Bertel Schofer from Rova Williamsfield, a running back as well. So, the programs that led the way, no surprise. It's, uh, you know, their athletes here on the nominees list. Right. Once again, another another conference that was a lot of fun to cover, a lot of players that are certainly um, worthy of a nomination here. It's hard to, to narrow these down. Looking at, I'll start with, uh, with my Cougars here, Riley Danner. 1,800, almost 1,900 yards passing, 16 touchdowns really really was the the key to that offense had a lot of playmakers around him uh real show for, as you mentioned 14 almost 1400 yards rushing and 16 touchdowns um and we're we're not even talking about spencer brown who had a tremendous season 21 touchdowns you know a thousand all-purpose yards that's what i was um, just gonna say is that you know yeah. i feel like as we go through the nominees list there's some players that you know might be snubbed Spencer Brown is one that really stood out to me when we started compiling the numbers there right and again that 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 team has so many playmakers on it they had a great season they're gonna have a great season next year um talk, speaking of great players Zeb, Zeb Rasha with Anna on Weathersfield right he was the conference uh player of the year voted on by uh, members of the of the conference boy is he tough 1600 yards rushing 27 touchdowns you know, he's got the neck collar. He's got the whole thing going on. He's a great player. Fun to watch him the past couple of seasons. And Luke Rewards at, at Stark County. Certainly we talked about them having that undefeated regular season. He was a big part of it. 1,100 uh, and 11 passing yards. 
11 touchdowns uh, to go along with 500 yards rushing and 13 more on the ground. So, um, boy, four, four, five really, really good players. Um, and that's not all of them even. So this was, this was a great division this year and a lot of great talent. Yeah, I like the one-two combo of Riley Danner and Brian Bertelshofer. And obviously, maybe the one-two-three combo when you toss Spencer Brown in there as well. Yeah. That was really, you know, what kept the ball moving for this Rova Williams Field program. I love the way that Luke Rewerts led that Stark County team offensively. You know, he was their heartbeat. We talked about other, you know, other players or other programs and kind of that heartbeat. He was it for Stark County, I felt like. And he did it on both sides of the ball. Played really well defensively as well. But, um, you know, for their team, I felt like he made them go. But, man, Zeb Rashid is just a – he's a force. He, he is a talent. And uh, when you start looking at it, it's for good reason he was named the LLC Small School Player of the Year. But what say, what say this podcast, Mitch? What does the ballot say for the View from the West Player of the Year for the Lincoln Land Conference? Yeah, the the ballot here agrees with the conference that Zeb Rashid from Anno and Lillersfield uh, is our selection as well for player of the year in this division. You know, uh, one player that we didn't mention was was Dylan Ory, um, who had almost 1,700 all-purpose yards, 17 touchdowns. But Rashid was the go-to guy, right? Um, if 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 Horry couldn't get things going, it, it was Rashid. But he was just the workhorse on this team. Um, he scored both touchdowns in that playoff win against Morrison. And he was obviously the guy that to, to be a huge part of their, their offense where they have those long drives where they just beat you up and hit you hard every time. So he's a fun player to watch. He's going to be a fun player to watch next year as well. So Zeb Rashid here for us on the LLC small side. Yep, I think that's the uh, the worthy selection there. All great nominees, but I think Zeb Rashid stu- stood out just a little bit more. You know, you talked about he was the kind of the workhorse, but he had a little bit of that Brady Anderson. He does have a little bit of that Brady Anderson in him too, where anytime he touches the ball, he could break He could break free. He could be going yeah, to the end zone. So, yep, yep. So congratulations, Zeb Rashid. He is our Lincoln Land Conference Small School Player of the Year. Let's get into the Northwest Upstate Illini, and then we'll talk a little eight-man football here. From the Northwest Upstate Illini Conference, we have four nominees. Cooper Hoffman from Dupec, Dom Kramer, a quarterback from Fulton. We also have Gage Dunker, an All-Stater from Lena Winslow. And we also have an All-Stater in Forreston, Owen Mulder, the running back there. So, Mitch, start reading through some of the numbers. There are some impressive, you know, stats here. Yeah. Um, again, a lot, a lot of fun to cover these players. Cooper Hoffman, we'll start there with Dupec. He had 2,016 yards passing, add in 811 yards rushing, all told 38 touchdowns on the year for Cooper Hoffman. Again, we talked about the Riverman that made that long run in the 3A playoffs. Hoffman was a big part of that. Dom Kramer coming in at Fulton playing quarterback. Over a thousand yards passing, 16 touchdowns, uh, big big force on the ground there too for the Steamers. Great year for them to overcome a tough start and to get into the playoffs. Uh, we talk about Gage Dunker a lot this year. 2,600 yards, Greg. This is the number. 41 touchdowns this year for Gage Dunker. Um, that was the most. That's a single season record in the NUIC. Anytime that you 
have a number like that and a record like that, that says something. Uh, and again, Owen Mulder, the All-Stater, 830 yards, 15 touchdowns for the Cardinals this year. Yeah, this the Northwest Upstate Illini, when it comes to player of the year, is always hard to pick, right? Because it's yeah. just, there's so much talent in that conference and so many successful programs, you know, that are producing these players. Um, yeah, Cooper Hoffman's numbers, when you really dive into them, I, I knew they were good, but when I really saw them laid out here, that was right. really impressive. But man, that that 41 touchdowns from uh, Gage Dunker on the ground and just the, the the damage he did, you know, running the ball was really impressive as well. Right. And this is a this is a tough vote. This is another tough one for me. Yeah, this this is one that that you and I had to talk about quite a bit. Um, and and again, we we talked a little bit about it in Western Big Six, where it's one A one B. I feel like we're there here in the NUIC as well. It, it could go to any one of these four. I think two are maybe a little bit closer, but um, I think the envelope is in your hands for this one, Greg. All right. Well, let's open up the ballot here for the Northwest Upset Illini View from the West Player of the Year. We're going with Gage Dunker, the senior from Lena Winslow. For me, it was just that 41 touchdowns. And, you know, there were some other players, you know, Cobran Lynch was a name in there as well, but he was the guy, right? He was the guy coming in that defenses were focused on and to be able to get the job done consistently like he did and credit to a great offensive line maybe they're part of this award as well but uh, for him to get 41 touchdowns when defense is really keying on him is impressive I I I think this is a worthy nomination or worthy winner here yeah and I, I talked about the 1a 1b 1b is Cooper Hoffman because again what a tremendous year ton of production there and uh you know, congrats to, to him and to that team on all their success. But you said it all on Dunker, um, the, the main guy this year, 41 touchdowns, 73 for his career, just incredible numbers. Uh, this was a great season to cap off a great career. Yep, absolutely. Congratulations to Gage Dunker on winning that. Let's jump into eight-man football, Mitch. And we always see eye-popping numbers in eight-man football. This year is no yep. different. It's always fun to talk about the players that stand out. We got five names we're going to get into here. Connor Nye from Milledgeville. He's a name we've been talking about for, I think, the past three, four years. So no stranger to this list for sure. The quarterback from Milledgeville getting a nomination here. You have Brock Solto from Polo. Mitch, I just saw that he was named the Sauk Valley Times or the Sauk Valley Player of the Year. Very Mm -hmm. worthy. We'll talk about that in a second. We have Landon Welchel from Amboy. He had a huge season running the ball for the Amboy Clippers, running them to a state championship. You had Roy Sandberg from Ridgewood, and you also had Brennan Blaine from Amboy, the wide receiver. So a lot of big numbers here. Let's let's get into it. Yeah, uh, let's start over in Milledgeville. Connor Nye, again, the name that we talked about a lot week in, week out. 1,338 passing yards. 609 rushing yards. So you're talking right around 2,000 all-purpose yards, 35 touchdowns for Connor Nye and Milledgeville. Uh, we'll go to Roy Sandberg at Ridgewood, who we talked about a handful of times. He scored that game-winning two-point conversion in the playoff game, 1,236 yards rushing, 20 touchdowns on the year for Roy. Landon Welchel, Amboy, 
1,832 yards, 25 touchdowns, just an incredible part of that Amboy offense. Speaking of Amboy, Brennan Blaine, uh, if you didn't catch any game but the state championship game, you knew everything you need to know about Brennan Blaine. Just a tremendous player. 947 yards for him, 17 touchdowns, um, uh, receiving to go along with four rushing touchdowns. But, Greg, I'm going to leave it to you here to give us the numbers on Brock uh, Soto in there in Polo. Quickly, before we get into Brock Soto's numbers at Polo, I want to give a shout-out to Blake Fulgate from Orangeville. You know, not as high profile of a season for the Orangeville Broncos as some of these other teams that we've been naming, but he had, you know, over 1,300 yards and 20 touchdowns. So just a quick shout out. Yep. He was the next, the first one left off of our nominees list here, but great season for him as well. But Mitch, you know, I love, I love the player that can run in a touchdown, pass a touchdown or catch a touchdown pass. Right. And Brock Soltow did all those things multiple times this year. He had 1,535 rushing yards. He had 411 receiving yards. He had 341 passing yards. That's for a total of 34 touchdowns. Brock yeah. Solto was Mr. Everything for this Polo Marcos team. And that's, that's no slight. They had a lot of great talent on the field. But I just mean in terms of anywhere you wanted to put him on the field, he could get the job done. That was a really impressive season for Solto. Well, and it, it caps off an incredible career for him yep. too. Just incredible numbers from, from Brock. Great career there for, for Polo. We should mention too, his, his counterpart, uh, our complimentary piece there in Carter Meridian had a great year for Polo as well. But yeah, like you mentioned, when you, when you have kind of that trifecta there or such a versatile player, especially an eight man where you can get, you know, a lot of creativity going, um, you can move guys around having a guy like Soto really, really good for, for Polo, not just this year, but for the past four years. Yeah. You know, you talked about the past four years and then you got to include Connor Nye in that conversation, what he's done mm -hmm. for Milledgeville and kind of, you know, leading them into eight man football here, kind of being that, you know, that constant over the past few seasons as they grow in eight man football, an impressive season for him an impressive career. And you mentioned Landon Welchel and what he did on offense. We talked about what he did on defense as well. 109 tackles. And then Brennan Blaine, if you're talking player of the year efforts, Brennan Blaine also had, what do we say, 18 sacks? So like, you know, yeah, putting up almost 1,000 yards receiving, you know, as a wide receiver, and then 18 sacks on the defensive side of the ball. You know, great nominees as well. And then Solto's accomplishments we've just listed here. So Mitch... Open up the envelope for our eight-man football player of the year from View from the West podcast. Yeah, uh, opening it up here, the winner for the 2023 View from the West player of the year for eight-man goes to Polos, Brock Solto. Again, 2,300 all-purpose yards, 34 touchdowns. Uh, it was easy to spot uh, on any game for Polo. And again, a, a great season that caps a great career here. But boy, a lot of great nominees here in this in this category for eight man. Yeah, another. You know, we say at almost every uh, list we get into of nominees, it was really right. hard to choose one. This eight man division was no different. So, 
there you go, Mitch. We've run through all of our player of the year winners from each conference or each division, but now it's time to name just one. It's our, it's our version of the Heisman trophy, the view from the West player of the year. You know, I guess before we get into it, let's kind of talk through the names that stand out to you as potential. I think Brock Solto has got to be one of them just based on what he did this season. Yeah. Without question. So in, in, in addition to him, we, we look at Braden Little from Quincy, right? We talk about the numbers that yep. he had uh, in the track. Brady Anderson and, and Brady Clark, both with tremendous seasons for their respective teams. In the LLC, Lane Wheelwright, we talked about that. Uh, 34 touchdowns for him. Zeb Rash on the small side from Anna One Weathersfield, 1,600 yards, 27 touchdowns on the ground. 41 touchdowns from Gage Dunker. So these are... What's that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Really, really great players. And again, it's it's a privilege to be able to cover them. Um, congrats to all of them on just tremendous success this season, um, both both personally, uh, both for their teams. And again, it, it's hard to narrow down all of our players. Um, in every category. And this one is, is certainly no, no different as we try and narrow down just one name out of everyone that we cover as a player of the year. Yeah. You know, I, I think when I start looking, you know, through the list, Brady Anderson's electricity on the field, you know, his, his big play potential really stands out to me as, you know, as a potential winner of this award um, lane wheelwright, his overall efforts, you know, both passing and running the ball. I look at something like that. Zeb Rashid for the same, you know, Zeb Rashid and Gage Dunker, kind of the same things. They're very similar type of athletes on the field. Those are nominees. Brock Solto, I, I love, you know, with the way he played. And um, Brayden Little's numbers are eye-popping. So I guess any any more discussion, any more debate, or do we just open up the envelope here? What are your thoughts? Could- what What players, you know, kind of stand out to you? You know, you know, I think everybody here brings a little bit of something different, right? You've, you've got the gunslinger in, in Braden Little. You've got a lightning bolt in Brady Anderson. You've got Mr. Versatility in Brady Clark. Lane Wheelwright, one of the best dual threat players that we had the, the privilege of covering this year. Zebra Ashton and Gage Dunker, two of the more powerful running backs um, and hard to bring down backs that we've covered. And we talked all about the versatility and of, uh, of Rock Soltel. So again, dynamic players in their own right, a lot of fun to cover. Um, and again, again, it, it, it's really, really hard looking at this list and picking just one. I've got one in mind. Um, Greg, I, I don't know if you would like to do the honors here or if you have any further comments yourself, but um, you know, I, I think we can, I think we can agree on who we would like to give this award to this year. Yep. I think we have one envelope left to open here. So let's get into it. Our view from the West, our best in the West player of the year for 2023. That award goes to the quarterback from Quincy high school, Braden little. What a season remarkable numbers, historic season for his team. And he led the way the entire time, just week in and week out. We're, you know, reading huge numbers. 
And ironically, Mitch, our player of the year never won a Matthewson's mini helmet player of the week. <laughs> no, it, it, just about every week he was, he was certainly deserved of one. So yeah, this, uh, not not trying to suggest we're making up for that in any way, but yeah, that was funny and something that we did talk about this year. So so, Braden, if, if you're listening, uh, we are certainly aware of your accomplishments week in and week out, and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll see if we can't get you one next year. But overall, this was a tremendous season. Uh, again, nearly 3,500 yards passing, 48 touchdowns. Those are numbers that we don't we don't get to cover a whole lot, right? Um, a part of one of the most dynamic offenses we have seen in our, in our coverage area in a while, certainly all the accolades on the field for the team. Uh, He is the field general um, makes, makes that thing go. So yeah, we we just look at the numbers, you look at the success. um, I, I think this is despite having seven great candidates, this was a clear choice for, for player of the year. Um, excited to see what happens next for, for Little and that whole Quincy team. But for this year, for 2023, Brayden Little, the View from the West Player of the Year. Yep, awesome. You know, it's a it's a great, you know, a great award winner here to cap off a great season, not just for Quincy, but for, you know, for the football in our area. A lot of great football played. We talked about all of it here tonight. You know, I think we talked about all of it here tonight. We talked about a lot. And uh, it's been a ton of fun. This is one of our last episodes. We're not quite done with this football season yet. Mitch, we're going to do a fantasy football type of draft here from View from the West. We did it a couple years ago. We're going to bring it back where we take a lot of the names on this list and we're going to bring in, hopefully bring in uh, Corey Cuffler or Matt Randazzo, maybe both of them from WQAD. We'll also have Kyle Campmeyer from NUICfootball.com along with you and I. We'll each try to pick our best collection of players from around our area. So a little bit of a reverse fantasy draft because we already know the stats. We already know the numbers, but we'll see who can right. compile the who can compile the best team. Yeah, Cheating a little bit, as we know the results of the seasons. Um, but, you know, in the end, it's fun to, to kind of compile teams. And, um, you know, and again, it's, it's a great way to put a bow on the season and another opportunity to talk about some of these great players um, that if, if they didn't come away with, you know, our, our fake awards here. <laughs> that, <laughs> no, they're, very, they're very real awards. They're just. They're not, not actual hardware. Yeah. They're not, yeah. They're not physical. Um, but you, despite not walking away with any physical hardware, um, they, they had great seasons. And so to, to kind of get them on rosters and just have fun with it. It's a fun episode. We had fun with it last year. So yeah, looking forward to that. I think what we need to do is we need to draft up our teams and then post the teams on Twitter and let the, let the fans decide, let the listeners decide who yeah. chose the best team. Hey, yeah, uh, I think we all <laughs> collectively thought we did uh, ourselves last year. So that was no, of no help at all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Stick around next week. We'll bring the view from the West fantasy football draft. And uh, yeah, then we'll kind of wrap up this uh, 2023 football season. Still, so, still some news to cover, right? We are awaiting the decision on, I just say uh, districts. Um, we, we've got some coaching openings that we're, we're waiting for some dominoes to, to drop a little bit. 
So, you know, again, it, it might not be episodes might not be coming as frequent, certainly as we're heading into the holiday season. But as every off season has shown, there's always something new happening, something to talk about. So uh, we'll certainly be back and, and have some some things to talk about. No question. Yeah. Well, I should have mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. When that IHSA vote comes down, we will be talking about it immediately. So I believe the vote is the 19th. And, uh, it's due the 18th. So we'll know on the 19th. Okay. So there will be a podcast so following that. Right. And what I was going to say is just thank you to all those who, who tuned in to listen to our conversation with, with Steve Susie on that. I, Greg, you have the numbers. It might be our most downloaded episode that we've pretty, ever had. Pretty so. darn close. Yep. Yeah. So, and again, I, I suspect we'll probably have him back depending it, whatever happens. If, if it doesn't pass, I think we drop it and never speak of it again. If it does that, you know, might require an episode and maybe bring Seuss back to try and make some sense of it. I don't think we'll have any more information then than we do now. Um, but certainly once the IHSA would potentially have to draw that up, that's when things get interesting, but we won't get the, uh, you know, the cart before the horse there. We've got a week. We'll see what happens. Yep. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up. And uh, like Mitch said, we will certainly be back talking to you, whether it's the fantasy football, uh, you know, draft here, or it's the district talk. We'll be back on the airwaves soon to, uh, you know, figure it all out. So thank you for listening. We will talk again soon. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.